Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. This episode features Brandon Reddy, VP Mobile at Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. So thanks for coming on the show, Brandon. No problem, man. My pleasure. Anytime. Awesome. Um, so, so before we kind of get into it, I always like to learn a little bit more about, uh, about the guests we have on the program. Um, so just tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what did you study, and uh, how did your interest in entrepreneurship really, uh, really develop? So um, I'm actually from Montreal, Canada. I was born and raised here, lived all 29 years of uh, my life here. Um, you know, I was always interested in some form of entrepreneurship. I mean, you know, my grandfather came from, uh, from, from, from Europe, uh, just after world war two and after the Hungarian revolution. And, you know, he had an engineering degree out in, out in, in, in Budapest, Hungary. And he came here and he was forced to drive a, 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 a cab, kind of a hard reality of the immigrant story. And, you know, I think so much through watching what he did, I kind of just got a, a sense of, of how hard you need to work to make money in this country. And, um, from a very young age, I kind of like, you know, tried to figure out the, the work, uh, work smarter, not harder kind of thing. You know, you know, how could I make money, um, the easiest way possible. And, you know, looking back on it, that's not necessarily the, the right way to do it. You know, the, the way you'll, you know, how, how should I make money the fastest? You know, it, as, as I grew a little bit older, you know, I kind of looked at what really brought me happiness and, you know, what kind of gets me out of bed every day. And, you know, I know it sounds kind of stupid and cliche, but if you really do what you love and figure out a way to make money while doing it, um, you'll have a really good time. It's, uh, it's an awesome feeling. So, I mean, from the time I was 14, really, I was doing entrepreneurial things like when, you know, I went to camp and did all the fun kid stuff, but I always found time to work. You know, when I was 14, I started uh, um, working for a startup called Surefire Commerce, and they were actually a gambling <laughs> um, now, you know, it kind of sounds bad if I pre- preface it like that, but um, they were a, a payment gateway for, um, uh, for for gambling websites, kind of like in the first iteration of the internet when it just became popular in like the early, 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 early 2000s. Um, and I was just like a general office clerk there because my, my, my godfather was um, uh, was the CEO there and he kind of gave me a chance and for, for just over six bucks an hour, I pushed around a cart and um, kind of saw how an office works and how people... Uh, People kind of, you know, get stuff done, and it, it was really cool because I mean, I was in my second year of high school at the time, so you think this office is this big, you know, shiny, awesome thing, and and that, and it's kind of you have this vision of how like everything works efficiently, and then you kind of look at it, and you're like, wow, these, you know, adults are really just kind of kind of kids, just messing you know, around, just messing around, figuring their lives out. So, you know, it, it was cool to see product from from that. Uh, point of view. And then when I was 15, my dad actually was a partner on an asphalt truck that he bought part in a business. So 
Um, I did manual labor when I was 15 years old and worked on the back of an asphalt truck. And that was really like, you know, no leads, no nothing. Like you wake up in the morning, you don't have any leads, you don't have any sales and you generate those sales by the end of the day. So man, that was like grind and hustle. Mm -hmm. Um, and not only that, like you'd go door to door and try and sell someone on like doing their driveway for 199 bucks. And not only would you have to sell them, you would then have to work in 40 degree heat to like, uh, and that's Celsius, not Fahrenheit for you yeah. listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, lay toxic tar on people's driveway. So, and and after that, I kind of I started working in a sports store, and again, just kind of refining my sales skills and, and working in retail. But you know, the real interesting stuff happened when I was around 20 years old, my first year in university. Um, you know, my my godfather again, he was always involved in really cool tech stuff, and you know, he he. You know, and I, I kind of followed in a lot of the things that he did, um, and I started working at a company called Airborne Mobile. So Airborne Mobile, for for those of you who don't know, is one of Canada's first mobile startups back in 2005, and I started as a video game tester there, testing um, standard J2ME brew apps, ringtones, and wallpapers on like you know we were just coming out of the black and white phone phase, and I always like make a joke. I'm like. You know, everyone just <laughs> figures out how old I am. Back in the black and white days <laughs> of of uh, telephony, but but in all seriousness, I, I started as a QA tester there, and I did that for a little while. And I was studying economics, and you know, no, uh, you know, nothing wrong with QAing. It's just I I, I kind of wanted to do something new, and I was afforded the opportunity to become a research analyst there. So basically, the QAing stuff kind of gave me a, a a really good foundation for the tech of mobile. You know how everything kind of works together. Um, how to, how to, you know, kind of talk with developers and stuff like that. And I was doing this around 20 years old and then I got promoted to a research analyst. And as a research analyst, I was looking at trends and, um, uh, well, just trends in the wireless industry. What was happening with ringtones? What was happening with wallpapers? What was happening with Brew and J2Me games and MMS alerts and all that stuff? And you could see, and this is where I really started seeing like the horizon for all those personalization products kind of hitting the ceiling. Because, you know, just like the internet, the first iteration of mobile was entertainment. It's like people didn't really know of the actual useful, the usefulness of a mobile phone at that point. For then and there, it was like, you know, you know, stewie fart jokes <laughs> on, on, uh, on, on a mobile. And, and Airborne Mobile secured, um, you know, uh, licensing with Family Guy, American Dad, King of the Hill, uh, FHM, Maxim, and all these really, really cool. Just the, the, the small companies that were starting out, yeah. eh? <laughs> they were first to market. So it was like, you know, like, hey, you guys want to do mobile? And it was like, sure. Like, we were the first, the first iteration of like the food network's entry into uh into the mobile space i think it was bitch and kitchen back in the day but you know again you know i i was kind of getting bored of the research stuff and i was really into business development so fortunately you know the vp biz dev there um gave me a chance on his team and he was kind of making an exit around the same time and while he was making an exit it kind of allowed me to kind of level up really quickly and I always kind of point to this, like, you know, story. I was like, you know, this young guy is 22 and a half, 23 years old, and I was getting to negotiate with major brands like the NFL, the NHL, Family Guy, and, and, you know, other Fox properties. And, you know, the feather in my cap was being around 23 years old I mean, um, and, and reaching out to the senior director uh, of digital entertainment, or I'm not exactly sure what his title was, at Harpo. For those of you who don't know, Harpo, that's Oprah's company. So um, I, you know, literally hit this guy up he just started i hit him up week after week after week until the guy gave me a meeting and we flew down to 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 um chicago to the harpo studios and i'm this like 23 24 year old kid in wearing a a, a suit that was clearly not tailored properly didn't even fit 
And I'm pitching this guy with Andy Noman at the time um, on Oprah Mobile. And honest, honest to God, we killed that presentation. And then, you know, and, and, you know, the deal fell through. And the only reason the deal fell through, and that's why I'm, you know, I, I still feel so proud of it, it was because we worked with brands like Family Guy, Maxim, and FHM. And the Harpo brand didn't feel that they wanted to be associated with a company that worked with uh, brands such as those. And, you know, and you know, being 23, 24, I was upset and kind of like really, really bummed out about it because I worked so hard on the deal. But I had learned so, 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 so much. And I was given an opportunity that most people, you know, don't even get at 50 or 40, you know. And so this was around 2007, 2008. And what happened in those years? The iPhone dropped. Um, the iPhone dropped, and I remember um, being like one of the first people in Montreal to, to get it because I, uh, I I remember asking one of the VPs at Airborne at the time, like, yo, buy me this phone. Like, I want it. Ship it over to Canada, and I'll get it unlocked. I unlocked it, and I remember watching, like, the first YouTube video and just looking and being like, man, this is the future. Um, the executive team at Airborne at the time thought the iPhone was a flash in the pan. <laughs> and in all honesty, like – like no one could have really said like how well this was going to take out so take off. So I, I don't hold any animosity towards them on that decision whatsoever. Uh, it was just a bad move, plain and simple bad move. And so when they made the decision not to go in that space, and I saw that YouTube video, I, I kind of started putting it all together, and it, it became clear to me that the uh, that the iPhone was was really the way of the future. And so I kind of started looking for a new job, um, and. This is where the story really gets fun and interesting. <laughs> uh, I was reached out to by a company called Manlin. Um, and they were really cagey with the first kind of telephone interview I had with them. All they really said to me is like, hey, we're looking for someone to head up our mobile department. We have some of the most high traffic website, mobile sites in the world. Uh, but they didn't tell me what industry they were in. So I was like, okay. I went in for an interview. I go in for the interview and they sit me down. They're like, okay, well, um, do you know what properties we own? And I was like, no, I, 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 you know, I don't really have uh, an exact idea. Um, and, uh, and, and basically, uh, it turns out they own some of the largest, uh, adult entertainment sites in the world. So Pornhub, U-Porn, 2BA, Keys Movies, and they were getting like hundreds of thousands of visits on their mobile sites a day. I just got, and I was like, do I want to tarnish it working in the adult space? So what I did was I went to like a bunch of my mentors and I went to my mom and my dad and I, and I spoke to them about it. And the conclusion I reached was the following. There was nowhere else. No one else was going to give me the opportunity to work with such large amounts of data. The company was making a lot of money at the time. There were about 120 employees, so it was still really early on. And on top of it all, they gave me the compensation I asked for. So I was like, you know what? This is going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to take this job. I think, I think it's a good idea to take this job and, 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 and roll with it and see what I can do. So I took the job and, you know, I, I always, it's one of the best business decisions I've made in my entire life. By the end of it, um, I was managing 20 million visits a day, 45 to 50 uh, employees, and generating 5 million in um, a, mil a month in revenue. So, uh, and it, it was just one of the greatest experiences of my entire life. You know, I was, I was traveling the world. I was, you know, I was making far more money than I had started out. My bonuses were insane. You know, I was really just, you know, killing it for, for lack of a better word. And this is about four, four and a half years in. And at that point I kind of got everything on autopilot. Um, we really like, you know, I really figured out the business model with, with, with my team and we were generating tons and tons of money and I was getting a little bit bored. Um, and you know, by that time we were almost a thousand employees. So the company had grown 
exponentially over the time. And there were a lot of politics and, and my day to day had become more of a negotiation. I, I felt more of a lobbyist than a, than a product director. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it couldn't have happened at a better time that, uh, that Julian, um, asked me to, you know, to, to, uh, do you want to talk about breather with me? And at that point, breather was a website. It was an, an idea on a, on a cocktail napkin. They didn't have any employees. It was Julian and Katarina, the co-founder. Um, and they were just about to leave to the web to announce it. But the story about how, Julian approached me about Breather is, is a pretty funny one. I remember uh, very clearly, I, I blogged about this a, a while ago. Um, someone called in a bomb threat to Manwin, and kind of funny, uh, I guess some people just don't like adult content. Um, and I was in the parking lot, we're like 500 to 1,000 people in that parking lot, it was just madness. And I get a text from Julian in a very like typical Julian fashion. He sends me a text, he's like, hey man, uh, I want you to do for me what you did for Manwin the text made no sense. I was like, like, do, do what? I'm like, and I wrote him back. I'm like, Hey man, I'm in the middle of a bomb threat. Like, like tell me what it is. And, and, and I'll get back to you. And he told me the idea of a breather and a couple of days passed by. And I, and I told Julian, I'm like, look, man, this is either one of the greatest ideas ever or one of the most terrible ideas ever. Uh, and, and fortunately enough, it turned out to be a really, really good idea a year and a bit later. Um, you know, our team's gone from, from like two, three people to uh, I think I think we're like 17 people now. We're getting a new office in Montreal. We're live in Montreal, New York, San Francisco. We're going to be opening up Boston soon. We've got a bunch of locations. We have an aggressive plan to open up more. So you just raised like 60, uh, six more million dollars. Yeah. So yeah, our seed round was 1.5 million, and that was led by um, uh, Real Ventures Ventures in in Montreal, Canada, uh, by John. You know, John Stokes led that, um, and he really believed in us first. And, and you know, he's a super smart, very savvy direct guy and uh that's that's really why i like him and the next round um the six million dollar round was led by steve schlafman from rre in new york and i spoke about this at um at uh, startup ground in ottawa you know steve is a really really a visionary um he understands the sharing economy so well and he was one of the the real you know one of the first real be- believers in, in in breather and he was you know and and when it came down to it you know he um you know, he put money down and w- with the firm, and and we're just trying to blow it up and 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 really kill it and and really expand uh, expand on product, expand on locations, and all that. So, Breather actually has two products: the physical space, which is designed to feel like any unlike any other, and the app that enables you to get there. Um, how do you balance both? So, it's 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 interesting. We have um, uh, Katarina, one of the co-founders, is is so damn talented. In designing space, it's it, it's mind blowing. Julian actually like uh, made a comment in an article not too long ago saying, um, you know, if we were just a bunch of engineers in a room, we'd probably end up just putting an IKEA couch in the room and like a, a cool lock on the door, and yeah. this would never ever 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 work. Um, I, I want to say that like we've got such an amazing design team. We've got uh, you know Lee and and um, and and uh, and Katarina, the co-founder, designing these spaces and making them just these amazing places to go. You know, tell me, is there, you know, if you were in on the streets of New York and you walked into an office building, odds are you wouldn't feel comfortable taking off your shoes and kicking back on a couch in, in someone's office. Definitely not. No exactly. Way. Our breather spaces in New York do that. You know, and when people were emailing us like, you know, I, I go in and I feel at home and it's just and it's just perfect to get my meeting done, you know, we've been able to to strike a a perfect I think I like to call it, uh, and, and Julian also like to call it, I believe like an uh, agnostic balance in these spaces where you can use them to meet, you can use them to to, to relax, you can use them to read, um, 
because they just, you know, and, and you know, you, you kind of risk spreading yourself across so many uh, segments of, of, of usage. But in all honesty, the spaces are designed so nicely and curated so well that they just kind of, they kind of work very, very well. But, but back to your question about, um, you know, creating a symbiotic relationship between the digital and physical. I've always looked at it the following, you know, the product is a, uh, a function of all these things put together. The application is very much the funnel into the space and the space is, is really where people are going to go and, and relax and chill and, and, and work and all that stuff. So, you know, for me, it was very important when we were designing the app, the, the pictures in the space and the application was a good precursor to what you would see in the space. So when you use the breather app and you see a space and you have this frictionless booking experience and then you get into the space, I promise you, you're not disappointed. Um, the pictures are edited, you know, obviously to, to, to fit in the app and all that stuff, but they're not photoshopped a la max like when you get into the space it's really what you see in the app and really what you're expecting and you know if you look at competition like you know uh like regis or even like uh, a lot of the uh the co-working spaces there's a lot of a lot of red tape you need to go through to get into those spaces with us it's your phone number your credit card and that's it you can be in a space within 10 minutes of downloading the application um, you know, you download the app. We ask you to verify your phone number to ensure that you're a real person and you're not a scammer or anything like that. We have your credit card on file, so it's super safe. And then when you um, when you book, you're given a pin code uh, at the time of your reservation. You put it in the door. You unlock it. You go in. You do what you need to do, and then you leave. And someone comes and cleans the room right after. Um, and that ensures like the, the the quality of our spaces. You know, it's all about the customer. Um, you know, and, and, and making sure they have an amazing, amazing experience. And a lot of the competition out there thinks that like, okay, if we just put a bunch of spaces on the map, it'll work. It, it doesn't. It needs to be a curated, consistent experience. So if you use Breather in New York, you use it in San Fran, or a year from now, you use it in Taipei or China, you will feel at home. It will be the same experience all across the globe. And for people who are traveling and stuff like that, you know, they need a little slice at home that isn't a hotel room. You know, it's for the in-between. Like, you're not going to have a, a meeting in your hotel room. Mm -hmm. you're gonna, you know, there's a bed there. It's just all sorts of awkward that you don't need. Or if you're a graphic designer or a freelancer, you can't afford an office in lower Manhattan. Like, imagine bringing a client to a breather space where you're paying 25 bucks an hour. You know, you book it for two hours. You bring a client there. You know, it's an investment in yourself to ensure that your client is seeing a super professional side about you. Yeah, it's really affordable for those cities for sure. Exactly. And and you know, we want, you know, uh, you know, Breather isn't exclusive and you know our 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 uh, you know, one of our senior developers, Ben, really did a great job of kind of like just um, you know, kind of coming up with this is like we want to design an inclusive product. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't want it to be, you know, so only wealthy people can use Breather. We want Anyone who has a company who's trying to build something to be able to access these spaces and and and, and be able to, to to you know build their dreams in one of our breather spaces. You know, I'm I'm waiting for the day for someone to say, hey, I use the breather space to build my next really cool startup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That would be yeah. an amazing an amazing story. And so so speaking about building that inclusive kind of product, um, you've talked in the past about finding one core metric. Um, so, so how do you actually go about building a, a product or an MVP around a core metric, and and how do you go about then layering more features on top of that? Sure, that's a that's a great question. You know, I I always say it's like, would you like to be the product that gets traction after a certain amount of months, or do you want to be the product that looks the most beautiful but no one uses? Yeah. And obviously, I think most people would 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 pick the former. You know, you know what I mean? It's kind of obvious. Um, and and the way to do that is. 
is really figuring out what the goal of your product is. So let me let me make a, a really simple kind of kind of explanation here on this. The goal of Breather is to get people in rooms, right? Our core metric is hours. You know, like hours book equals revenue. It's you know there's there's nothing hidden there. So how can we build the funnel and the application to generate hours? Okay, and you only put the features in there. Are unbelievably necessary to do that so the first iteration of the product didn't have an ability to search for, for for available space you actually had to click on a pin and like go through a bit of a booking funnel but at the end of the day the app was bare bones and it just focused on getting people in a room as time went on we listened to our consumers uh, our, our our users we emailed them we sent them like hey like what do you you know and 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 they would send us tips about like hey you know i want to find a space more easily i think a filter would work or this and that and you know you just want to make sure that you're always um managing your business goals as well as treating your users very very well and if you manage those two you can really uh develop a killer product but it's, it's essentially about figuring out the, the one thing that's going to drive your business and build all of the features in your application to get that done. Mm-hmm. Um, more features generally aren't going to generate more revenue. It's, it's going to be the one right feature that gets them to do the thing that you want them to do. Great. I think this, that's a great uh, point to go into the next question. So how important is good design and good user experience in an MVP, and especially I, in the mobile space? You know, it's uh, it's kind of a loaded question because, like, you know, look, good design is really important. But I'm going to give you uh, an example right from, like, that's currently going on right now. If you look at the Breather booking engine that's on the web, book.breather, and then you look at the iOS app, you will clearly see that the iOS app is a far superior experience. Now, we could have said, hey, we're only going to do an iOS app and be iOS exclusive, this, that, and the other, but we'd be leaving money on the table. So the compromise um, with the resources that we had, and you know, and the, and the way like uh, the way that we 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 kind of built it out was like, look, okay, let's at least build something that people can use to get in our spaces. So we looked at what the basic, basic, basic feature set was when like when we started with the iOS app, the first iteration of the iOS app, and we just built those on a web platform. Um, it's still not perfectly beautiful, uh, but it gets the job done. So. You know, you want to start somewhere, it needs to work, but it doesn't have to be perfect out of the gate. Because at the end of the day, no matter what, like you're never going to build the, like the first version of your product is never going to be perfect. It's, it's never going to be exactly what consumers want. It might happen one in a million times, but realistically, you need to be able to track user behavior, iterate, listen to your users, and continually build out. So sure, design is unbelievably important. Um, there needs to be some at least minimum level of, of good user experience. But it's not the end all be all. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, breathers, as you mentioned earlier, is is kind of in a different, uh, in many different cities. And you guys plan to expand to a whole bunch uh, in the coming months and, and years. So, uh, I mean, w- what are some of your uh, your acquisition tactics in in different cities? Because you guys are trying to uh, balance a, kind of a supply and demand side, correct? Yeah. So what's interesting is that I've always worked in a space where um, your product is infinite. So when I worked in Adult, you know, you're, you're, you have videos like you. There's no real max on how many videos you can uh, you can watch on the internet. Um, you know, there's and when I worked in in the in the in the, at Airborne, you know, you could download wallpapers and ringtones a million times. Like you had an infinite amount of things you can sell. Mm-hmm. At Breather, it's a bit different. It's the merging of the physical and digital worlds. So when you look at supply, I mean, supply is finite. 
um, and every hour you have on the platform that isn't book evaporates into the ether. Like it, it, it's gone. So you need to be able to maximize the amount of people who are in your space to make sure that you're, you, you're, you're paying the rent or you're, you're giving your partners an appropriate amount on their rev shares or whatever. So it's really about making sure that you have enough supply and you have enough demand. You know, mm -hmm. our champagne problem is that like we get emails from users like, hey, I've opened the app and like I can't find time because you guys are too popular. So I mean, sure, it's a great problem to have, but we're limited by the supply we have. So you know, we put together a really aggressive uh, location acquisition strategy to ensure that we can get the amount of locations on the map. Now, if you look at the demand side of the equation, the demand side is actually fairly simple. Um, you know, in this day and age, there are so many ways to generate demand. It's unbelievable. We use Twitter. We use Facebook. We use on the ground marketing. Um, we go to tech events. You know, I do things like this. Yep. Hey, use breather. You know, there we go. Shameless plug. But, um, you know, Facebook and Twitter um, are so awesome for, for building, for generating demand without giving away too, too much. You know, any startup out there or anyone who's, who's just getting started, if you've got, you know, like 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 emails, upload, to, upload those to, to Facebook custom audience tool. And that's going to give you an idea of who your, um, of, of, of who your, uh, your users are. I mean, it has never been easier to figure out who your customers are than it is now. There's tools like Intercom. We use Intercom quite a bit. We communicate with everyone who signs up, with everyone who makes a booking. Uh, it, 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 it just takes grunt work. It takes getting in, getting in the, 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 the trenches with your team and, and not just throwing crap at the wall and hoping it sticks. I mean, sometimes you gotta do that to see if something works. You have this crazy idea, and you're like, all right, let's test it and see if it works. And it does work, and they're like, oh crap, man. Let's, let's, how, do, how do we put this into a more scalable, um, into a more scalable system. Um, and we've been very fortunate. We've got, you know, great growth guys working with us and, and Julian's a very, very focused CEO who's always looking at the future and he's always you know, worrying about demand and worrying about supply. So, you know, working with a dude like that, you know, he really brings the best out of you. Cool. So how many, um, cities is Breather currently in and what are the, the next big cities we are expected to see, um, some Breather spaces? Sure. So we're currently in uh, Montreal, uh, New York, and San Francisco, and we're going to be opening up many more locations in all those cities. And the next city that we're going to be opening is Boston, most likely. I don't hold me to that, but it's uh, it's looking pretty likely. That's cool. Wicked. It's an awesome yeah. city to, to visit. So you mentioned intercom and, and kind of email, but are there any other tools that, that you like to use to, to kind of figure out who your audience is or, or help build growth into the product and, and communicate with actual customers? Sure. So, you know, there's many companies out there that say they can do everything for like user tracking. So like yeah. you, sure you can track events with, um, with, with intercom and, and all that. But I always like to go with the main feature of, of, of their service. So let me give you a perfect example for funnel tracking, AB testing, uh, within the app, Whoa, just drop my iPhone. Um, I like to use mix panel. There is, in my opinion, and honestly, they need to give me a referral bonus because Every time I speak, I'm always talking about Mixpanel. <laughs> but uh, they're a great product for tracking user flow in the application, give you cohort analysis. Um, now, on the user communication side, like, sure, you could do like in-app messaging with, with, with Mixpanel, but Intercom does a better job at it. So Intercom allows us to set up events, like, so, a, like a user booked, and then you follow up with that user X amount of days later. And those are real emails coming from our, our growth team and our support team, like following up with people. They're real people. Um, so it's, it's really a function of don't be lazy. Don't try and find an all-in-one solution. Um, you know, find the product that does the best thing for what you're trying to do 
and and then you know work with them. And in all honesty, like you know back in the day, there there weren't products like this. Like pre two thousand eight, there was nothing really like this. And now it's so affordable. I think mixed panel maybe is like two hundred fifty bucks a month or two hundred bucks a month, and like intercoms one hundred and fifty to three hundred bucks a month. Like for six hundred dollars, you have the tools that can allow you to make you know ten x that revenue if you use them properly. Yeah, absolutely. That that's really my opinion on that. Cool. And and are there any? Uh, I mean, besides Breather, are there any kind of cool apps on your phone that you're using a lot recently? Or um, I, I love Uber. I love Uber to death. It is the 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 greatest greatest thing ever. You still um, needed in Ottawa. It's not here yet. I know. Like I opened. Like I, I drove to Ottawa last week and I opened uh, my app, uh, my Uber app, and I was like, no cabs. I was like, okay. dark ages, dude. Not cool. <laughs> but. Um, you know, it, it, the sharing economy is here to stay. Whether company, whether the government, whether uh, you know, uh, hotels uh, or or uh, or typical uh, you know office sharing platforms like it or not, like things are changing. So, mm-hmm. and they're changing fast. Uh, you know, Uber, Airbnb, uh, Breather, we're all allowing individuals to become entrepreneurs and like live the dream like you know if, if you're if you have extra real estate in a city um you know reach out to us you know like we're looking for commercial real estate we do a partnership deal with you and it, there you go like you have like three pieces of real estate in a in a, in a city or you've got an extra room in your office that has a, a door that we can put our special lock in like there you go you you're becoming an entrepreneur you're working with us you know uber is mm-hmm. the same thing like a college kid now can like use his parents car on the weekend to do like uber x and and drive people around and make money you know like the the the, the face of work um and the way we all kind of um you know, the whole nine to five thing, everything's changing and it's, it's, it's the coolest thing. And, you know, even I'm noticing it, like I used to be like, like, like even in my first startups is like a typical nine to five, like working remotely, like email was just kind of arriving on mobile phones. Like I can stay home one day and be in full contact with my team and, and work from home. Or, uh, you know, like I said, at, at accelerate, uh, sorry, not at accelerate at startup grind, like I get in relatively early later in the afternoon, I kind of like, I kind of want to, want to change environment. I come home, I open my laptop and I do more work. Um, you know, and, and with tools like Slack and you're always in touch with your, 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 your team and your staff, like everything's changing. And it's just a really exciting time to be around. And it was probably the same feeling of like when the telephone came out or when like television came out and, um, and you know, it's just, or when the, the model T first came out and made transportation easily accessible to everybody. Um, Every generation has their cool invention, it seems, and um, the internet is is ours, and it's allowed people to do such amazing, amazing things. It's the you know it's dictated my complete career. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely definitely transforming the way that we do everything, and it's, it's cool to kind of get your thoughts on on that sharing economy. Thanks again for for being on, man. My pleasure, man. Thanks, Brendan. Thank you. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Hack to Start, and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.